0: This is a recording from a Sunday meeting of the BC Humanist Association in Vancouver. The opinions expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect those of the BCHA or its Board of Directors. To learn more about humanism and to support our work, visit bchumanist.ca, and make sure to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and be sure to subscribe to the BC Humanist Podcast. for having me Um, my name is armin i'm here to talk to you guys about ex-muslims and how they have been betrayed by the left and also how the reform movement is not a good substitute for the ex-muslim movement well the title here is different but you'll see where i get so this is me around age 11 or 12 i'm not sure but that i'm kissing that's my mother i'm kissing the quran that's what you do on the first day of school, just for good luck. The, the frank thing about this is that none of us in the family, neither my mother or me at this point, have ever read the Quran, and we have no idea what's in it. But we venerate it, we kiss it, we bring it out during New Year. Um, we never leave it on the ground. We make sure that if it's always the top book, there's no other book on top of it, but we've never read it. I have now read it, I've read the Quran more times as an atheist than I've ever had as a Muslim. Um, among my friends, and even, I, I didn't used to pray that much until my teenage years, I became a little bit radicalized, but none of my friends also, the friends that, fast, friends that pray five, uh, five times a day, even them never read the Quran cover to cover. So, I just want to make it clear, when we atheist activists, when we are criticizing the Quran or the Hadith, the reason why we think that's not really an attack on Muslims themselves is because most Muslims have no idea what's in their book, just like most Christians have no idea what's in their Bible. And Another point is that even less than the Quran, most Muslims have never read the Hadith. The Hadith is where most Islamic law comes from. Ninety-five percent of things that you're supposed to do or not do as a Muslim does not from does not come from the Quran. Quran has very little instructions on how to live. So even among the minority of Muslims that have read the Quran or know the Quran, among those people, a very small minority of them have read the Hadith. So when, when I say, when, or when my other atheist activists, when we say Islam is a violent religion or is it an oppressive woman or it's homophobic, and then people come and say, well, I have Muslim friends, they seem like nice people, most Muslims are not violent, most Muslims are peaceful, good people. Well, there's a there's a difference between talking about Islam and scripture and talking about Muslims. Just like there's a difference between understanding what Christianity teaches and what Christians do and are like. Even though the actual Islamic law is not really practiced by many muslims it does creep into government and it does creep into power because religion is a very good tool to oppress so you can see that one of the hadiths, which is one of the islamic laws which is that you're not supposed to leave, leave islam right if you're a muslim that's a you're muslim for life um, so if many countries in many countries, it's a criminal act just to change your mind about Islam, right? When I was born, on my birth certificate, it said Islam. So nobody even asked me if I wanted to choose. because I, I was a Muslim because my father was a Muslim. And I never had the chance to leave it. And in Iran, you can see, that's where I was born. It's in red, right? So if I go back, I'm supposed to be killed. That's why I can't go back. When my mom got cancer, I couldn't go see her. I wanted to, but my dad, my my dad warned me that if you if if I wanted my mom's last memory to be me in prison, right? A lot of you know, there's a lot of people there that are atheists, but most of them are not very public about it, right? So I I wrote a book, I blogged about it, I made a website. So even though there's a lot of people, you know, when I was there, I became an atheist and I talked about it to my friends, and family. You know, that's. Kind of stupid, but still not as risky as being that open about it. So now I don't I don't feel safe going back. A lot of people say again, well, there's nowhere in the Quran that says that if you leave Islam that you're supposed to be killed. And that's true, but it's in the Hadith. Right? And some reformist Muslims and some liberals try to claim that. Well, it's hadith. Who knows which hadith is right, which hadith isn't, isn't right, uh, which ones are authentic? These these two. That's this book, the Bukhari one. That's one that is not debated among Muslims. That's one of the most authentic hadith books. There are six hadith books that all Islamic schools of thought agree on on the fact that it's authentic, and th- this is one of them. So this is not something that they debate whether if it's actually Muhammad saying or not. Some uh, minority of Muslims, they believe that only the Quran should be taken seriously, uh, and not the Hadith. But they are a very fringe group of Muslims, and the Quran itself mentions that you have to follow Muhammad's way of life to live a perfect life. And the only source to see how Muhammad lived is the Hadith, or Sunnah as they call it. There is some support for this belief in many of the countries. Like you can see that the majority of Egyptians or Pakistanis or Jordanians apparently. Because it's not just the government, right? So religion does impact belief. They do agree with the fact that if somebody leaves uh, Islam, they're supposed to be killed. Uh, in Turkey and Lebanon, is not that bad, but still, I mean, we say when we say five percent of people believe this is this is supposed to be the liberal the most liberal country right but i think even 5% of people believing that you're supposed to be killed for just changing your opinion about something yeah that's the, a lot of these muslims believe that religion should be free to each their own religion that's in the quran but that's for people that are not yet muslim if you are muslim you cannot change your mind Well, you can. They say you're free to change your mind. We'll just kill you, right? (laughs) Actually, that's actually very interesting because a lot of people will say um, this hadith can't be authentic because the Quran says that to each their own religion, right? So if the Quran, the Quran is above the hadith. So if the Quran guarantees freedom of religion, this hadith cannot be true. But, but the Quran itself says that non-Muslims will burn forever in hell. So this is not a contradiction. You, could, you are free to believe whatever you want, but there are going to be consequences. You basically, it's like holding a gun on somebody and you say your wallet or your life. So you're free to not give out your wallet. You just die. That's a choice that you have. So if the Quran introduces hell as a consequence of not being a Muslim, and that still doesn't contradict with the fact that to each, to each, uh, everybody is free to choose their religion. Therefore, killing somebody for leaving Islam also doesn't contradict having the freedom to choose your religion. These are some of the people that paid a great price for speaking out against Islam. Some of them died, some of them got stabbed, some of them got... Thrown uh, out of their country, some of them are in jail. Inside the Arabia, you actually get—you uh, have it in your school textbook—that it gives you the reasons why it's okay to kill somebody for when they leave the religion. However, even with all that pressure, atheist activism or secular activism is not. Um, It still exists in Islamic countries. There's a lot of examples of people that, against all odds, they speak out and they try to make their opinions heard. This is in Iran. There's there's actually a huge social media movement in Iran uh, with girls taking off their hijab and taking the risk of taking their pictures of themselves without their hijab and posting it on Facebook. As as their small way of protesting against uh, what they see is a violation of their rights, you know. For a lot of people, it, it might seem like you know, taking off a hijab. Like, who cares? Just like it's a hijab, you just put it on. It's not that big of a violation of human rights, right? But for for a lot of people there, this is a symbol of every oppression. You know, so. If if you can't speak out, if you can't, if you're not dif- if you're not, if your freedom has been violated in so many ways, a simple act of taking off your hijab s- says a lot about uh, your what you believe in. And because this is a huge risk, you know. Uh, well, ta- from time to time, to in Iran, it might differ, uh, you know, based on based on who's in power and who's trying to make a statement. Sometimes you see girls and boys in park holding hands, and then. One year after, everybody with just a little bit of hair will get arrested and thrown in jail. So it really depends on the time. So you know, criticizing criticizing Islam by ex-Muslims becomes very important because when you have the uh, far-right groups and their attack on Islam is more xenophobic more source based on bigotry, and when, when we are confused, when our arguments are confused with their arguments, and we are shut down because when we are thrown out of liberal circles because of our criticism, criticism of Islam, these far-right movements, they become the only game in town. They become the only people that are standing against Islam. And they don't care about what liberals say about them, right? So, when when nobody is listening to legitimate arguments against an ideology, then people flock to these far-right movements because they are afraid of what's happening. And they see that these are the only players that they could, and that's why they become more popular. If ex-Muslims are a perfect tool against Islam, because it's harder to accuse them of bigotry because they come from the same cultural background, they come from the same ethnic background. However, the f- interesting thing is that this, the, left, the leftists, because for, for, for a lot of uh, people in the left, it's hard to make sense of ex-Muslims, right? Because they associate everything that criticizes Islam as uh, as a far-right movement, right? But when they see ex-Muslims and they see people from the region are criticizing Islam, they have to somehow make this phenomenon fit their narrative. So, what they do is they accuse us of being brainwashed by Westerners. They accuse, of, accuse us of being puppets of the imperialist West. And that is a lot of ex-Muslims, they find it very offensive and a huge sense of betrayal. Offensive because it seems to them that people from the West are suggesting that they are incapable of independent thought. They are incapable of uh, doing exactly what people, in the, many people on the left have, have done with Christianity, of analyzing their religion and deciding that it's bullshit. They think that if you think that, you must have been influenced by the far right in the West, and also a sense of betrayal, because a lot of these people uh, in the in the Middle East, in Indi- Indonesia, in India, in Bangladesh, uh, they, when they freed themselves from religion, they were hoping for a sense of unity with other atheists all around the world or other secularists, and when they come to these people in the, from uh, the left in the West they get pushed aside and as, as bigots which makes no sense but, uh, but also it's, it's strange because they are fighting for the exact same things. they are fighting against homophobia, they're fighting against misogyny they're fighting for uh, freedom of speech and they and they come here and they think that the people on the left are their natural allies and they don't see any sense of support what this it seems to them that people from the left here only want muslims to not be as bad as the terrorists and that as good as it could get as long as you are a peaceful moderate muslim that's good atheism may be too soon for you guys you got you guys have not matured enough to get to that level, you know, you guys still need religion, you know, it's cute that you think you could be a secularist, but, you know, we'll, you know, just don't kill each other, that's, that's the standard that we want from you guys. The thing is that atheist activism, or any arguments against Islam, is is not, nothing new in the Middle East, this is not a Western invention. This is something that a lot of uh, philosophers and scientists openly did for many years. Back and in, even in, in the capital, in Baghdad, in the capital of the Islamic Caliphate, we had scientists that were absolutely atheistic or even um, anti Islamic. At that time, um, the governments were not that oppressive against free thought, which is which is weird because it seems like we're going backward. the The confusion is very strange because, for me, I understand why Muslims uh, get confused when we criticize Islam and they see it as a personal attack. For a lot of Muslims, Islam is part of their identity. So when I criticize Islam, to them it seems like a personal attack on them. And usually the way I try to make them feel that I'm not personally attacking them, is that do you, I ask them, do you find atheism ridiculous? And they say, of course. And they say, well, do you think you finding atheism wrong is a personal attack on me? And they say, no. I'm like, well, there you go. I disagree with Islam. That doesn't mean I hate you. I just disagree with you. But for them, separating that those two things is very hard. And I understand that. But I don't understand it when it, when the same confusion happens w- among the leftists here, because they have the exact same thing with Christianity. They, they criticize Christianity for being, uh, when, it, when it goes against, you know, gay rights, women's rights, any kind of, any kind of, um, you know, um, whenever Christianity uh, is oppressing anybody's rights, they, they they're the first ones to speak out. But when we do the same thing against Islam, they actually accuse us of a, a bigotry and they keep up bringing examples of peaceful Muslims as if we're talking about people and ideas yeah so this is exactly uh, the same thing is so liberals basically are supposed to be champions of liberty but when we try to do that in Islamic countries they 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 don't support us because apparently what they are fighting for is only good for where they live but not good for where Muslims live so the, what I mentioned is then um, this goes along with the narrative that they try to uh, make us fit in, which is ex muslims they call us native informants and this goes along the lines of us being puppets of the Western imperialists as if yeah exactly as if we don't have any as if we ourselves cannot come to this, the conclusions that they have come. Okay came up with, and this goes, this is Sarah Ader, she's the founder of Ex-Muslims of North America, she she basically, this is the, goes along with the sense of betrayal that she feels, because she feels betrayed by her own community, but now when she comes to the West, people are accusing her of being uh, part of the far-right movement, and she's basically being, so, so it, you know, ex-Muslims, they get hit three times, right? We get hit from Muslims, because we are left Islam, we deserve to die, from the far right, even though we're not Muslim anymore, we still come from the same cultural back, background, their problem is not really with Islam, their problem is more xenophobic, so it doesn't matter if we change our opinion about Islam, so the far right hates us, uh, and the left hates us because uh, they, when we talk about Islam, they group us in with the far right, so basically ex-Muslims have no home. And the the left has come up with this um, solution uh, with regards to Islam is to to support reformist movement, but I'll get to that later, actually. So yeah, so the the left, the liberal left, which is which was always uh, tries to portray itself as the champions for uh, human rights, now when they have achieved a lot, now they are just trying to save people's feelings instead of caring about the things that they have historically been fighting for and been very successful at for many decades. Now that they are needed elsewhere, now they're just the champions of people's feelings instead of fighting against violence, misogyny, and fighting for people's liberty. So, yeah, regarding the solution that the... Uh, the left has found. So they have, they are clinging on this really fringe group of Muslims, which they call themselves the reformists. And they try to portray, the, portray this as the true Islam. And the Muslim reformists are, are different from Muslim moderates. Muslim moderates are Muslims that basically care more about their day to day lives than Islam itself, right? They, I mean, they call themselves Muslims. But they are mostly worried about their careers, or about their jobs, about, you know, things that you, most of us care about. But uh, but then you have the Muslim fundamentalists, and then you also have the reformists. Reformists do spend a lot of time caring about Islam, but they are trying to portray true Islam as something different than, than the fundamentalist Islam. The thing is that these Muslim reformists, even though they have achieved a lot... Of, and they gain, have gained a lot of attention in Western media, among Muslims themselves, they're not taking very seriously at all. For most Muslims, the idea of Islam needing reform is absolute blasphemy. Islam is and has always been perfect. Even reformists themselves, they, they understand this, and they try to not portray themselves as reformists. They try to portray themselves as people that are bringing Islam Back to its original form, but the way of doing that is they look at the Quran and look at the hadith and they come up with this really strange gymnastic arguments to uh, interpret things in ways that is very different from what you will get when you read the text. But the a lot of people, a lot of atheists here uh, look at their arguments and find them strange. But also the Muslims themselves find their arguments by reformists ridiculous. Because for thousands of years, uh, the Quran and the Hadith have been interpreted by a lot of scholars, and none of them came to the conclusion that these reformers have. The translations and the interpretations that they come up with is so different, and basically they're trying to convince everybody that everybody has got it long until they came along. But the thing is that the audience of the Muslim reformers is not Muslims. What they write and when they talk, they're talking to Westerners and they're trying to sell Islam. And they know that they don't have an audience among Muslims. Most, a lot of Muslims find Muslim reformists uh, more offensive than, you know, non-Muslims that, that are criticizing Islam because they're thinking that they, they are betraying Islam. You know, they, they see them as people, as mush, mushrakun. This is something that uh, the Quran has warned everybody about. Of as basically people as pretenders, people that claim to be Muslims, but they're not. Alright, I'll just describe what you're saying here. This is a picture of a girl in Makkah, uh, next to the Kaaba, the house of God, right? Uh, she's holding a piece of paper re- written on it that says, Atheist Republic, right? And she was really scared when she took this picture, which I wouldn't do that if I was her. But that's really brave and, you know, people like, ask, why would you take such a huge risk? Any, if anybody saw that, you would, I mean, I would be surprised if you, you know, live to see another day. But, you know, it's hard to communicate with somebody that hasn't been, hasn't, has always been free how frustrating it is for you not to be able to even say what you, what you think. And when you live under that kind of condition, any small form of rebellion, any form of like taking off your hijab and taking a picture, any form of writing on a piece of paper, hey, I'm an atheist, I'm posting it somewhere and people not finding out that's just a way of just just expressing yourself when you couldn't have otherwise. This this went viral on our Facebook page when we posted. This was her way of trying to say like, hey, you might not know my name, you might not who I am, but I'm with all of you out there. Because of this picture, she, and eventually she, we raised enough money for her to get her out of there. And now she's in Germany. This one is from Algeria. She wrote Atheist Republic. This one is from Morocco. This one is from Lebanon. This one is from Pakistan. See, he didn't even feel safe to put his hand in there because Pakistan is really... Actually, it's interesting because the countries where people feel safe to show their uh, faces matches those statistics that we saw, right? The higher the number is, the least likely we see people showing their faces in these pictures. We get a lot of these pictures. This one is from Tunisia. So these pictures... um, you know when we when we put this on our page and told people to send pictures to show their solidarity. When what we were surprised about is that we usually get them from uh, Islamic countries. You know we don't get any from that many from Europe. We don't get that many even from Canada or United States. We put this on our uh, Facebook on our website, and they all come most like eighty percent of them come from Islamic countries. Based and, and Most of our newsletter subscribers, most of our Facebook page, uh, fan pages, they are from either Islamic countries or very religious countries like Philippines or um, Brazil. I think the more people feel, the more the people feel like they can't express themselves openly in their own community, the more they try to find outlets like our website to do so. But another thing is that these pictures show that there is a huge demand for that kind of activism. So this idea that um, in people in Islamic countries are not ready for secular movements and maybe we could just hope for a reform movement is nonsense. The fact, and and the, the interesting thing is that the reform movement, even though it gets so much attention, even, even Sam Harris did one with Majid Nabo, I mean, I love Majid Naboth. I love Irshad Majid. These are Muslim reformists, right? But their numbers, you know, no. N- you know, they are not convincing Muslims. They are convincing Westerners that, hey, we might have a more peaceful version of Islam. But it is the ex-Muslim movement right now that is achieving huge numbers in the Middle East, in other Islamic countries. The the younger generation of people in, in these countries, they are in much greater numbers leaving Islam rather than being convinced in a more moderate version of Islam. People that take Islam seriously, most Muslim moderates don't take Islam seriously. People that take Islam seriously either become radicalized or leave it altogether. It's very rare for somebody to read the Quran and read a verse that says that you could hit your wife and come up with an interpretation that it does not mean that. This last page shows that if you go to atheistrepublic.com there's a green button almost on every page that if you click you can leave an audio message. And when we did that there was a lot of people from uh, many different countries that left us an audio message. So if you you also go to Atheist Republic and if you want to leave an audio message, if you want to leave a message of support for ex-Muslims or if you want to share your thoughts or ideas about anything, you could leave it. You just go to atsrepublic.com and click one of those green buttons, and it's going to be there.